0: Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I am Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Before we start, I want to say that I'm recording this opening at 12.36 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday. And as of this moment, we are still waiting to find out where Oklahoma quarterback, former Oklahoma quarterback, it seems, Caleb Williams will be attending school. Just wanted to get that out of the way because there is certainly a decent chance that by the time you listen to this podcast, Williams will have picked a new team, and we're not going to get a chance to address that, but wanted to lay that out there for you. Joining us today on the podcast is my good friend Andy Staples from The Athletic. A couple of weeks back, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said, Before the playoff expands, there should be a holistic 365-day review of major college football. He didn't mean the review should take 365 days, but rather that the entire calendar should be considered. Not a terrible idea, and one Andy and I will get into today. It's not exactly a how-to-fix-college-football episode, but Andy and I are going to try to fix a few things about college football and project to what the new version of college football might look like in the coming years. We'll also answer a listener email about what is an ideal college football staff, from coaches to support staff to recruiting and player personnel, analysts and GAs. What's the difference between all those positions? What do all these people do and how much does it all cost and we'll see what else is on andy's mind when andy is on the show be prepared to go a little off script thanks for listening to the ap top 25 college football podcast you can find us on appodcast.com where you can also find my colleague rob Motti's nfl podcast please listen to that it is excellent you can find us on apple podcast spotify just about anywhere you like to get your pods If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to be an emailer, and contribute to the show, like Joe Liss, a Virginia fan, did today with a really solid question that Andy and I get into. If you'd like to email the show with questions or comments, aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag, the digits five at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast is the great Andy Staples, my friend from The Athletic Andy. Thanks so much for joining me. We had a, a what I was thinking of like is a, the type of day where you want to get into some topics where you're really not sure where they're going to go. So if I'm not really sure where the show is going to go, I'm thinking get Andy on. So how are you, Andy? I never know where my show is going to go. That's the, the blessing and the curse. It's the secret sauce, especially when uh, you are on with Ari and uh, the Andy Staples show. Um, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an athletic subscriber, you get a little extra Andy and Andy and friends there. Um, so you can check that out. So, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, we had Jim Phillips sort of draw a line in the sand when it came to the playoff. And he said, The ACC is against expansion right now. Because we want to do a holistic 365-day review of college football. Um, we want to you know, tear this thing apart piece by piece. And we don't feel like expanding the playoff now is a good idea. We feel like that review and, and, and looking at college football holistically is the, is the better thing to do first. And then we can get to expansion. I don't want to get too deep into what that means for expansion, whether they're bluffing and things along those lines, Well, we may get into that. But the idea of doing a holistic review and really changing a lot of things about the season, other people are thinking about that too. We are thinking about it, but other people in positions of power are thinking about that. So as we just sort of toss open the open-ended question, what does a holistic review of, the, of college football entail? From what you've heard, and what would you like it to entail? Well, at this
1: point, it would entail definitely working with the recruiting calendar, be, be that getting rid of the early signing period, going back to just having one signing day in February, uh, changing the, the transfer portal so that it's not 24 7, 365, which it doesn't really need to be to, to give players freedom of movement. Uh, and then what I think Jim Phillips and company are hoping for is to stall long enough for a federal Nil law that would govern Nil everywhere. Uh, they're probably going to lose that one the, the, the this particular Congress doesn't seem very interested in doing it and what the the ACC Big Ten all those folks and I mean this is really everybody the SEC wants this too, but, what those people don't seem to grasp is that of the the people in the legislature who care about this stuff, half of them don't like the conferences, don't want to do what the conferences want, would like to do something a lot more player friendly than what the conferences want. So they're not going to get what they want from the federal government, at least not right now. Now, perhaps after midterm elections, that that changes, but I doubt it does. I, they're just... It's just hard to get that many federal lawmakers fired up about this one. They got a lot of other stuff to, to deal with right now,
0: right? Or to not deal with, honestly, like they're not really getting exactly <laughs> not, not to become political, but they're not getting a whole uh, well, lot of anything. Well, done and, to, and, and, to, and, to, and not to, to become this. political, but but the only thing
1: that we've seen both sides agree on is they hate the old college sports model of the schools banning the athletes from doing everything. So, right. I, they already messed that up. It, it's, it really is a case of I don't know if it was greed, fear, stupidity, mix of all three, but they botched this for about eh, 30 years where they could have been gradually changing things and would not be sitting because that's what Jim Phillips is saying. Well, all this changed on is so rapidly. No, it didn't. I mean, you were the AD at Northwestern when your players talked about unionizing. Right. I remember was, writing when that happened. That was like five or six there years were, ago now. Yeah, And and he was dead set against it. And I remember writing when it happened. You're going to
0: wish at some point that they had a union that you could deal with. That point is here. Well, I was in Indianapolis last week along with some of our colleagues for the NCAA convention. And, and, you know, that that discussion is going on not necessarily in the meetings, though maybe it is. We're, We're locked out of some of those, but it's definitely going on in the bars and over coffee, right? Like the the idea of you know, maybe at some point we're just going to need to come up with a way to call them employees without calling them employees, get them to the bargaining table and and work some of this stuff out. I, I, try, I tried to give them the way
1: 11 years ago and everybody was like, you can't do that. Well,
0: that's what they're doing now. The yeah. states drug them into it. So I, I am of the opinion, so of course, cynical me, I am of the opinion that. If you could create an employee, employer, or some kind of body that they uh, collectively bargain with, again, cynical me, I think the players will get trashed. I think they'll give up all kinds of stuff. I agree.
1: I've always said that because because they would be protecting the the interests of the, the ones on the lower end as opposed
0: to the ones on the higher end. All you have to do is look at the NFL and how all the issues that go on with the NFL's union. Where the the rank and file are basically like, hey, man, I'm just here to get the three, what is it, three and three quarters of a season, you get the pension or something like that. Right. Like, because like, so, so much of the NFL is just our guys who are, you know, quite frankly, replaceable. And I'm not knocking those guys. It's just like that's the way it is at that level. There are so many good football right. players. They're,
1: they're not that different from the person
0: that got cut to keep them. Right. So, so the NFL always has all these issues with, no, man, like the, the rank and file just are, are, are here just to get as much as they can as soon as they can because they know that they're not going to be around very long. And that's the same issue times 50 in college because you have, again, kids who are just there to sort of get their scholarship and maybe I get a chance to play in the league. But for the most part, like this is as good as it gets for me. Yeah. Uh, and you also have guys who you know, again, they're all, and, and think of it from this perspective, they're even more transient. They know they're only going to be there for four years, at least in the NFL. Some of those guys can wish that they're going to be there for five, six, seven, eight years, or, and like sort of, you know, figure, Hey, if I play things right, I could even make a career as a journeyman for seven years in college. They're done in four years, no matter what, maybe five. Well, and and there's also the, the, the
1: subset, which is, this is a smaller group, but, of people who will be more famous as college athletes than they'll ever be without question at any other time. Like now maybe Stetson Bennett becomes governor of Georgia or something, but very my, my guess is as a football player, Stetson Bennett will never be more famous than he is. Now mm-hmm. will never have more opportunity to cash in on that fame than he does now. So I think that's, that's the other, the other piece of it. That's the other group. But yeah, it's a it's a finite amount of time, finite amount of eligibility, so it's actually somewhat similar to the
0: rank and file of the NFLPA. Yeah, a- except in, in in with college players, I think it's even more so that they are uh, some so many of them just don't want to rock the boat. They I, and I understand it because they have a pretty good deal. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of them are just like, wait a second, like I'm getting. I'm getting pretty, pretty well here. I'm out of here in three to four years. Like, right. What are we doing here? Let me just get let me just get through this. this. Is, but but like I like I always said to people who said, well, they
1: got a great deal. I'm like, you know, it's better than a great deal. A great deal in a ham sandwich. Right. You right. know, it's better than a great deal in a ham sandwich. A great, a great deal a ham sandwich and 100 bucks. Like this is America. Get as much
0: as you can. Right. Whenever you can. And they have the leverage now and le- lev- life is leverage. Leverage is life. I mean, yep. if you note, if you have ever been in a position where you have leverage, you are not handing it away. You're not being the benevolent soul and saying, no, 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 I got it good enough. <laughs> no, you- don't don't give me that raise. I just yeah. I'm good with what I got. No, no, nobody says that few right. people say that, but most people don't say that. Okay, we've already well. Jim Harbaugh said it, but Jim Harbaugh's also been making
1: millions. Jim Harbaugh years. didn't have any other options. Jim Harbaugh was going to get eight million dollars to get fired, right. or eight million dollars to keep coaching, you know, and, and and try to prove himself to potentially get more after that.
0: And and again, like I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate what Harbaugh did as far as bonuses and things like that. And gives like that's very nice of him to do those things because not everybody does. But Jim Harbaugh also was an NFL quarterback for 15 years, and uh, you know my guess is he could probably spare the dough. I don't want to get derailed. We've already derailed ourselves. So we, we talked about the recruiting calendar. We also talked about. I also think it's it's the schedule itself, and it's also – so there's, there's things you can do to tweak the recruiting calendar. There's things you can do to tweak the length of the season, and that includes practice, preseason practice, things along those lines. And then there's also Greg Sankey's idea, though it's not just Greg Sankey's idea, to tweak the length of games. So in other words, if we're going to ask players to play more games – Maybe we should ask. Maybe we should make the games that they do play have few have fewer plays. So that's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah. Well, and and that's something. Okay, you want to know where that comes from? Fire. It's away. not altruistic. The networks want the games to fit into into nice tight windows, like NFL games do. NFL games last three hours and fifteen minutes. Yes. By and large, unless they go to overtime or whatever, they last three hours and fifteen minutes. And. That they, makes they, it very they, convenient they put a few
0: more. Yeah, they put a few more commercials into the NFL playoff games, but then they increased the windows for those games, right. too, the television windows. Right.
1: But how many times have you watched a college game where ESPN only allotted three hours in the window, and it said, we're going to have a studio show for 30 minutes after the game, and the game blows through the three-hour window, blows through the 30-minute studio show, and all of a sudden, the next game's kicking off on ESPN News because the, other, the first game's not over yet. This is why they want to do that. Right. The the fringe benefit is that they run fewer plays. And, and let's be honest, the 2008 clock rule changes, which, by the way, were a a, a response to the backlash over the really bad 2006 clock rule changes, mm-hmm. inserted like 30 more plays into every game. Because and, and, Chip it became Kelly a, goes, and it
0: became strategy. It became used as strategy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Chip Kelly goes, wait, I don't have to wait for the ready for play signal to have my center snap the ball? Okay, great. We're just going to snap the ball and everybody adopted that. So if you'd like to get football back to the number of plays that were being run pre 2008, there's a way to do that. And you get fewer exposures, you get tighter windows for TV and everybody's happy. And I think that's why, that's why they're doing it. I, well, I, I still think the viewer gets gypped on that because you get less football and more commercials like your your football to commercials ratio ratio changes. So I think the, the the viewer gets the short end of that. But I have viewers ask me, how can the games how can we make the game shorter? I only want a three hour game. I'm like, all right. I never asked for less football, but if that's what you're asking for and 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 I get it. People want to schedule things they want. They want it to make sense they want the schedule to make sense so i would say the easiest way to do that because the nfl is a shorter halftime than college you don't want to shorten college halftime you want the band to be able to play yeah but the one thing the nfl does that college could adopt is instead of stopping the clock to move the chains after every first down and remember you're running more plays there are more first downs that's more stoppages you just eliminate that and it, it becomes a lot easier to control the game time. You add a two-minute warning so that there is some strategy involved there. There's a, there's a planned stoppage that you can work around if you're trying to come back. Although, I guess, some NFL teams only need 13 seconds. But but that would, that would probably make that – it's a nice, nice, tidy solution. Here's another nice, tidy solution that they should have done the moment they moved the regular season to 12 games. And for whatever reason, they won't do it. Add another week to the season. Yeah,
0: week zero. So there's
1: two bye weeks. That, that's oh, Sorry, pop, I can't say bye week on your podcast. Yeah, two do not open say bye weeks. weeks. Thank you very much. Yeah, two open weeks. Thank you. Open dates, yes. Thank you. Off weeks. Something so, along those lines. Yeah. That's not complicated. They, they do it in the years where, the cal- where it fits in the calendar. The calendar right. falls like the first Saturday of the season is a certain, you know, d- like it's August 27th or whatever. They do that in those years, just do it in every year.
0: Well, so the concern want to pretend to
1: care about players, give them another open
0: date. The concern has been, if you do that, then you're starting. And Again, I'm not necessarily agreeing with this, but you're starting preseason practice at a point where you might still have summer school going on. I think that's been the argument. They all start preseason practice during summer school. I, I don't think it's well, whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's the first summer semester, whatever the case may be. All those things that for years and years and years we were told were important, we are being told now well, are they, not important. The,
1: the players have been, <laughs> quote unquote, voluntarily doing stuff in the summer since I was in college and I'm right. old.
0: So right. like that, players that is, do that not go sailed. Players do not go home. For uh, they may go home to visit they maybe live close enough to like pop in but essentially players are hanging around campus all summer doing stuff uh, they're taking summer classes first of all because it alleviates their workload during the season mm-hmm. so they're almost all right. doing that they're almost all loading up off season so they only have to take one or two classes it, it also allows the them to graduate faster so that they can transfer. <laughs> Without penalty, right? Which they don't have to worry about as much anymore. But nonetheless, that's why all these guys. Oh no, no!
1: But you do because all those guys that are transferring now as undergrads are realizing when they get to their new school. Oh wait, I'm stuck. Right. I better graduate.
0: (laughs) That's a good point too. That's that's a good point because basically that gives you two chances to 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 graduate or to to transfer without penalty. So so that's going on too. Yeah, and I think what you'll eventually see is week zero. What we have called week zero the last few years will eventually be the start yes. of the season. Now, the other interesting thing, I, and again, you you would eliminate the two buys, but I also wonder, let me let's get your opinion on this. Instead of starting at week zero and call it a bye week. Oh wow. <laughs> instead of instead of week zero and then having two off weeks, two open dates, damn it, Andy. Thank um, you. you start week zero and then push up the the postseason a little bit now i know people don't like this idea because i think they really love rivalry weekend being on on thanksgiving thanksgiving weekend but you could put remember the other thing too is again like we are so used to condition to we're so conditioned to what is going on now for a billion years the big 10 season ended the week before thanksgiving for, yes, for a billion years, the Big Ten season and many other seasons. And then they realized, why are we giving up this weekend that is right. prime real estate? But what you could do is make that championship weekend. I don't know. if the, I, I don't think they would ever do that. I think they like the the idea of lots of games being available on Thanksgiving weekend because people. Yeah, see,
1: I, I actually think that the adding the extra open date helps more teams because that's going to just get you better time slots. On TV throughout the season,
0: oh, That's because a good point too. Right, there will be right. fewer
1: games to distribute each week. Yeah, so that yes, that yes, yes, gives yes. you a lot, a better chance of being in a, in a spot where somebody's going to see you.
0: More than most people who cover the sport, Andy t- generally thinks, "What does TV want?" Which is good, by the way, because that's the way the sport is run. <laughs>
2: the sport <laughs> <'Cause> is <laughs>
0: run on what does? Because they're like, "What
1: will you pay us for that?" Oh, you'll pay us a lot for that. Okay, let's
0: do it. <laughs> Right right, so basically whatever TV that's why whatever TV wants is what TV gets, so we're gonna tweak the calendar, so right, I, I think eventually we'll have two bye weeks we'll have shorter games. I, you know I hear some pushback from fans too on like why do we want the game shorter? Just like you said, it's an event it's it's football once I'm watching I, I've never game, wanted a game to be shorter, but I don't know, a lot I, of people do i I do get like even like so I don't have to deal with this cuz I don't go to games as a fan but even if I'm a fan I, if I realize oh my gosh I've been here for 4 hours I have a long dr- drive home right you and, know, and that is a legitimate concern if yeah.
1: cuz a lot of times you 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 know these are college towns that are they're 2 3 hours away from a, the larger metropolitan area yeah. where most of the people are driving from so that is it is something to think about it's a
0: split. I, I I find that as something of a split decision among fans. I I know there are fans who yeah. are like this. I this is what I'm doing Saturday. I don't care. But it could be. But it's what TV it wants. wants so it's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I. But I also agree with that too. It. I think it's nice to have it a, l- a little bit more. Like I I appreciate. I don't watch a ton of NFL during the regular season, but I do sort of appreciate the NFL's like. Hey man, like we're going to oh, get three games in, and you're not going to
1: miss it's a damn a, play. It's a science because it's staggered. So that if you're watching red zone, you get games ending, right? Like in, in different pools. And, and so if some games are at halftime, you've still got games going on. I mean, they, they have, they have really gotten it down to science. And if you saw the ratings on the playoffs last weekend, like they, they just, they understand how to make people watch.
0: Yeah. And it it brings back the idea of expanding the college football playoff and, I think people watch the first weekend of the NFL, the new super wild Card weekend and realize, wow, a lot of these super wild Card teams suck, but <laughs> so why are we, but, and, and the, and the, and the programming wasn't necessarily very good. The, the games weren't necessarily very good. And of course, the but it was the, football and it was on your TV and it and people led to still watched
1: it. that weekend. That and it also, watched.
0: right. It also helped get people involved. But I think that the, so I think people will look at that and say, well, why do we need more college playoff games? and, they're right. As far as this is concerned, the later we get into the college football playoff, the more likely the games will be bad. The reason why you're adding new college football playoff games is that first new round of games actually has a has has a chance to be the most competitive round. Right. The, the five through 12 teams are more alike than the one through four teams, generally speaking. Yes. Generally yes. speaking. So, if and, you, that and, and round so of games that makes it all, interesting. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the, the New Year six games this year and how many of the New Year six games, even with guys sitting out, were interesting, compelling games. Right. The Peace Bowl and the Rose Bowl games. were great games. Yeah. 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 Absolutely make those games playoff games. And now all of a sudden you've got a really nice opening weekend. You've also got people invested in watching the next week's games, as opposed to sitting around for and they, a month.
1: And they were invested all season. You know, you didn't have the PAC 12 tuning out in, right. in October, like Utah making a playoff run and Utah's had some really special seasons. I mean, they were the original BCS buster. They had the year they went in, in 2008 when they went undefeated, but imagine if this season they'd made the playoff like that would be
0: massive there so do you think the ac why are they still talking Andy? why are they even bothering to still talk i've given my reasons and explanations but why are they even bothering to still talk about playoff expansion if the acc says no we're not doing it and do you think it could still happen because if clemson's bad
1: next season the acc is going to have to realize this isn't going to work. See, The ACC is doing this because they'll never have more leverage than they have. Now the ACC doesn't really have much juice. They're locked into a TV contract with ESPN until after both of us will be dead. Mm -hmm. And that's harsh. Well, maybe not, maybe not, but not you. I'm old. I I might be. It's June, (laughs) June 2036 2036. is when this thing ends. Right. And your children will be out of
0: college long out of college. Like <laughs> right. if you them want to become small, a doctor, they right. will be an MD at that point. <laughs> like, you don't, your kids aren't even in high school and they will be out of right. college at this point. It, it,
1: exactly. So th- this is what they're dealing with. They, they have no leverage. They can't get Notre Dame to join the second, the playoff moves to 12 spots with six at larges, Notre Dame never, ever has to think about joining a conference in, in football. So, the ACC is in a bad spot, so this is the time when people will listen to them. Because if you want to change anything with now, while this current playoff contract is going on, you need a unanimous vote. So this is when, if you're the ACC, you can make people listen to you. Once that ends, and you've heard George Klyavkov say this, and I assumed he was talking about the Group of Five, and now I'm not so sure. Yeah. That basically, if you don't want to be involved with us, you don't have to. And. If you're the ACC, tread carefully on that because they don't need you. They need the Big Ten and the SEC. They don't need anybody else. Everyone else is expendable. The leverage
0: that you're playing is after the contract ends, we can do this with three out of five or whatever the number, three out of five, power You can power do it five. with two
1: out of five as long as it's the Big Ten and the SEC. And eventually the, the other the, the other
0: leagues, if they're smart enough, will will understand that. Right. So what you're saying is if you don't do this now, we are going to do it later. So you have no – so, like, understand, like, you have no leverage here. You can say you have leverage. Oh, But because, the, well, the, the ACC does have
1: some in that the Big Ten and the ACC are pretty philosophically aligned. And as long as you have – I mean, the Big Ten is basically having that, that giant, you know, guardian over you that's protecting you. Without question. The second you get sideways at the Big Ten, you're screwed because – they, they are important and the ACC is not in, right. in, in this. So yeah. that's, that's the, that's the part they've got to be careful with, but right now they seem philosophically aligned. And, and I will say a lot of this, if you've heard the rhetoric since they started the, the Alliance and all that, it sounds like the big 10 and the ACC want to try to push college sports back toward what it used to be. And that strikes yeah, a me as a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what's happening. Like, you lost nine, nothing in the Supreme Court. It'll never go back. Mm-hmm. The NIL stuff, as soon as those laws were passed by the states, it's never going back. You can try to pass a federal law that's more restrictive all you want. It will not get more restrictive.
0: You've already it's given it. It's not going to get substantially already, more. You may have a few little right. tweaks here and there, but it's not going to get substantial. Like, right. What we have this, is what we're going to have.
1: This, this all happened and the world didn't end, so you're stuck with it. So stop trying to recreate 2010 or whatever you want to do. This never going to happen. You're never going back to that. The forward thinking people are the ones who are going to win here. Mm-hmm. And this is why Greg Sankey is just running roughshod over those people. Because Greg Sankey has been saying for years, you have to do something that will be lawsuit proof. If you do not do something that's lawsuit proof, this will never end everyone will keep getting dragged back into court and they'll lose. The, the Supreme court made that very clear, by the way. And it's not, not the Kavanaugh opinion because the Kavanaugh opinion was, was very showy and
0: little, look at little me.
1: Grandstandy,
0: but it was, it was a, a mess but, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the fine other right. eight
1: though. If you, if you read that one, if you read between the lines of what yeah. they were saying. It's basically, we're going to slap you down. If any of your rules come
0: before us. Right. They essentially the the most important impact the most impactful part of the Supreme Court decision was the Supreme Court hung a big sue me sign on the NCAA. Essentially basically said, like, none of your laws, none of your rules are all of your rules are vulnerable. Everything you do, we are gonna basically say if somebody sues you, like come and sue you. Come and sue, and and most likely we will agree with them. So that's why they're trying to get the NCAA to decentralize it. I, again, I don't want to get too bogged down in that. I already did that. Uh, we, we already, I was already uh, up to my neck in NCAA stuff last week in Indianapolis.
1: I, like, I feel so bad for you because it, I can't even imagine what that convention was like. I was glad I was on vacation because it, it's there's two types of people who work in college sports now. There's the people who are going to be working in college sports for the next 20 years who are like, what, what can we do? To, to create a system where we still make some money and they make the players make some money and all of this gravy train keeps running. And then there's the people who've been doing it for 30, 40 years who are close to retirement. Who are like, this is the end of the world.
0: I think that there are far more people who um, understand that, even if they are true believers, I I like to use that word, true believers. And I think Greg Sankey is a true believer. I think uh, Greg Sankey is a true true believer in college sports, but he's also has an understanding of like, okay, how do we keep this thing going? And it's important to keep this thing going. Uh, And then again, he'll get into uh, some areas where again, as a true believer, um, I think there's he has some emotional ties to it where maybe you and I are a little more cynical, We're like, a little yeah, more
1: dispassionate. Yes. Yeah.
0: A little more dispassionate. That's a good way to describe it. But I still think there are a lot of true believers who understand like, OK, the, the way we've been doing this is not working and we need to do some drastic changes here. So I want to put a pin in that part of the conversation. I want to steer back to. Our uh, new interesting friend in college sports, George Klyovkov, who has taken over the Pac-12 and has been a real disruptor. Uh, And I don't mean that pejoratively. No, well, I think he's trying to be. I think that's his goal. And I don't mean.
1: I I think the jury's out because Larry Scott, his predecessor, came in from outside of the college sports infrastructure with a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. And you saw how that turned out. Now, I think just for my brief interactions with with George, he understands things a lot better and is a lot better at working with the people Mm -hmm. that he's that he's tasked to work with.
0: But I don't think we know yet if he's disrupted anything. I think his goal is to be a disruptor. And I say and I say that with this in mind. I think more than anybody else in this process right now, who would be considered sort of important college sports leaders, he is questioning just because we have done it like this before does not mean we need to continue to, like every bit of it. Like, which, hey, which hey, by hey, the way, why they, does Notre Dame have they a need vote that. here? <laughs> yeah. And they yeah. absolutely need that. So he is definitely pushing back on every part of it. And you're right. Ultimately, it might not look that much different than before he got there. Like he might not disrupt a whole lot of anything. Uh, But one of the things he's trying to disrupt is college football expansion. And as much as he has positioned himself as no, I am all for all the formats, any of the formats, let's go, let's expand. I am here for formats. And he put out that statement saying that here are six formats. I am for all of them. (laughs) <laughs> what he didn't quite say is there are some places aside from the format where he is not exactly uh, what was it? I think he was some like solutions based like, solutions oriented. I think there are some other people in that room during those college football playoff meetings, which might not be seeing him as solutions oriented because he wants to protect the Rose Bowl. And I understand yep. why he wants to protect the Rose Bowl. And this had been and, going and, around. And John Wilner put it out the other day from George. He actually said, like, the idea is that when the Rose Bowl is not hosting a quarterfinal, mm-hmm. right, When it's not hosting a quarterfinal, when it's hosting a semifinal. We want the Rose Bowl to still be the Rose Bowl and to still have just a good old fashioned Rose Bowl in the middle of the day so we can have the sunset behind the mountains and it will be pac 12 three against big 10 five. And it will be mm-hmm. the best TV slot that we can find will be just a good old Rose bowl. We want special treatment for the Rose
1: bowl. Yeah. And, and this is where the other leagues just need to say, cause the, and the big 10 obviously is going to be on his side on this, but to a certain degree, but say, maybe not as much. Right. I
0: don't know if they're going to be quite right,
1: as, but the other leagues just need to say, listen, you're going to play the game when we tell you to play the game. If you'd like to be part of this, if you would not like to be part of this, enjoy having an empty stadium. We'll put it at SoFi. Like yeah. they, they need to stop coddling the Rose Bowl. Who cares? Now, if you wanted to, cause I, you know, look, I know for a lot of people, the Rose Bowl is very special. Uh, you're not smart enough to live somewhere where the weather's nice all the time. So it means something to you to go somewhere warm in January. It does it means um, something to me. Yes. <laughs> so Maybe for you guys, it is special. And there's a solution to that, too, which I think would be workable for everyone. Turn Pasadena into college football's Omaha. The national championship game is at the Rose Bowl every year. Yes. That would be a brilliant solution. Mm -hmm. And the Rose Bowl people wouldn't wouldn't want it because they want their parade on the first. Move your parade. Right. If you don't like it, have your parade on the first. Again, don't put the game at SoFi. Or they'll put the game in, in New Orleans. Nobody cares about you except a few people, and it's not enough
0: people. The other thing they also could do is just make the Rose Bowl a permanent quarterfinal. So the per- Rose Bowl isn't... Now, I don't, I don't know if the Rose Bowl loved well, that idea. Here, here's the
1: thing, and I, I think I, I do think there's this disruption-based people, and a lot of this stalling is to kind of create something new from whole cloth. If there's some smart people out there... They don't want the Bulls to have
0: quarterfinals. Well, that's not this iteration of the playoff. That is a couple. I think we're we're now on 2026. 20, I don't even think it's no, I don't even think it's 2026. I think it's beyond that. I think in 2026, they'll still have the Bulls involved. I think whatever happened, it, maybe they do a six-year contract, maybe do an eight-year contract. I think the next iteration of this, the ultimate iteration of this, Andy, is it becomes like the NCAA basketball tournaments where we are. And I, and I, you you don't, you're not going to neutral sites. You're not going to love this because eventually they're going to take all the games off of campus. See, that's stupid. Well, I know, I, I know you won't like it, but they're going to do that. They're going to put all the games at neutral sites, but they're going to bid out all the sites like they do with the NCAA basketball tournament years ahead of time. So you'll be able to look and say, oh, the the quarterfinals in 2032 are in Indianapolis.
1: Want to bet? Because I'll bet you the first time they have games on campus that first weekend, they're going to go, oh, crap. This is what we should have been doing all along. I I,
0: I could see them. I could see them relenting on that. But but without question, question, quarterfinals, semifinals. Did you not look at the snow
1: in Green Bay and go, that's amazing. that"? And and you know you know who
0: else would love
1: games on campus more than games at neutral sites? Television.
0: Well, because it makes better television. Yeah, it makes better television. So, so those atmosphere What what did, what did we
1: start the show saying? Who always gets what they want?
0: I I'll, I'll I'll I'm not 100% sure on that and here's why. I think the first time BC hosts a playoff game, in other words, when you're that first round where you're possibly mm-hmm putting games on campus Dif- not every campus not every college has the same capacity to host those games in the way Ralph, even in the way tv would want they all, host seven, they want all
1: host seven football games but, a year but
0: but not they all the, do but not in the way ESPN or Fox would like to host a playoff game and i think the certainty that they can get of we know Three years in advance, where I don't all know, these ESPN games are going CBS to CBS. All
1: manage, all seem to manage just fine with the NFL. Which, by the way, recedes every week. No, I. I so get you don't it. even know where you're going next. I get week. it. I so, get it. but all NFL states, stop
0: acting like this is impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just <laughs> pushing back. I'm not saying it's impossible at all. I'm saying that I think that they like the certainty of we know where all the games are going to be. We are going to run them. Uh, we we're, the the campuses are out of this. The schools are out of it. You're you're out of this mix here. And I know they're not keeping the money. The money would go back. The tickets money would right. not go to the schools. But even that, I think they want the idea of we can sell tickets in advance. We can promote this for several years. I think they want the NCAA tournament. And again, I'm not talking about 2026. I'm talking the next iteration beyond that. Is you know, you know who's we are gonna going? Be we are going to we are going to sell the dates in advance for. Every single playoff game.
1: You know who's also going to be against that Ralph? That? Athletic directors who'd like to sell season ticket packages because I hear you. Guess who gets priority for a playoff game on
0: campus? Right, your season ticket holders or your suite holders. Right, your 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 luxury so, box holders.
1: And 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 who who has more sway? Who has sway at all with these people? Well, those are the constituents.
0: Those are the constituents that matter. So. Yeah.
1: I'm telling you right you, you now. You talk
0: to a lot of SEC ADs who really want this. And I, I, I'm telling you, there are ADs I in would, other I don't parts of the country who are not as enthused about it, who are not as Why enthused. wouldn't the Big Ten want this?
1: Why would you not want playoff games at, at Spartan Stadium or the Horseshoe?
0: Yeah. No, no I, I, I tend to. I, and I tend to agree with that. I tend to agree with that. But, I, I again, I, I, I'm talking with some folks, I think that the vision is, no, 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 we're doing it all in advance. And again, just like we do with the NCAA tournament, three years out, we will announce the sites for every every game, and we will be able to promote them in advance, and we will be able to control everything about the management of that game in advance. We don't want to leave it up to, hey, what happens?
1: While, while, I, while I do
0: appreciate them taking my But they'll my also take it of, out of the bowls. But it's also going to be right, taken right. away from the bowls. Yeah. While,
1: while I appreciate them taking my advice of taking over the, the bowls anyway, like, that, that's the part I've never understood. Like why the, the leagues didn't just get together and be like, we're running these games now. Like the, Jim McVay, you don't make, you don't run the Outback Bowl anymore. We're going to have a game in Tampa on January 1st. We'll rent the stadium. We don't need you. Outback's going to sponsor it. Like we, we don't need you to, to set that up. We can call Outback ourselves. Like, I do appreciate that they're taking my advice on that finally. Right. But they're going to screw this up if they don't put the games on campus. I, I'm just telling you, they could make it awesome or they could make it suck. They should choose to make it awesome.
0: OK, we we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Andy Staples from The Athletic and answer uh, an email, a question from an email or uh, to the show, uh, which may at, one point, at some point sort of sound like rudimentary. But I also wonder if a lot of people uh, who co- watch college football and are even fans of college football really really do understand what it means to have a massive staff and infrastructure and what all that what all that hiring means. So we're going to take a quick break on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast and come back with Andy Staples of The Athletic right after this.
2: You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at AP Top 25 25 mailbag at gmail.com and to get the rest of your football fix also take a listen to the AP pro football podcast with host Rob Motti writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers current players coaches and executives rob will take you around the league break down the biggest games and keep you in the know only the way ap can like subscribe and comment wherever you get your podcast now back to the ap top 25 college football podcast
0: and we're back andy staples joining me ralph russo on the ap top 25 college football podcast so andy uh reader fan from of virginia I'll make sure I got his name correct here. Joe Liss is a Virginia fan, and his question to the show was, and it's kind of long. I'll abbreviate a little bit here. Or I'll condense a little bit of it. Is uh, What does the staff and facilities of the ideal college football program, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, look like? What's the size of the staff? What are the different positions? What do all these analysts do? Um, What's the role of recruiting department? Why do you need such a big one when all the position coaches and coordinators have to recruit? And he kind of goes on and on and on from there. And, you know, at first I thought to myself, well, you know, let me open up Alabama's staff directory. And count up how many staffers are on Alabama. But and I know you laugh and you say, oh, my God, like you'd be counting forever. And it, it came out to about thirty nine, including administrative assistants. And then you realize, oh, they also don't list their strength and conditioning coaches under football. They're in a separate category. So they, add a, those. Couple, yeah. so they add a couple of more because they have strength and conditioning coaches who are only football strength and conditioning coaches. And oh, by the way, some of the other strength and conditioning coaches probably work on football, too. So you're getting up into the 40s, but then I opened Virginia's because Joe is a Virginia fan and Virginia as of right now, they have 39 people listed under their football staff. So it's not just Alabama anymore. And one of the reasons why it's sort of hard. It's just that
1: Alabama probably actually has 90 people and Virginia probably has 39.
0: Right. So so this is a little bit of a tangent. But a few years ago, Bob Bowlesby and some other folks on the football oversight committee tried to figure out a way to limit. The way they limit on staff on coaching on field staff, you can only have 10 on field coaches. That is a rule. That is a cap. Anything beyond that, which is considered staff, it's a free for all. And a few years ago, the NCAA said, well, hey, maybe that's a competitive advantage, which it is, by the way. Um, so maybe there's a way we can get our arms around it. And I remember Bowlesby saying part of the reason why it was hard to do is because we can't even figure out what these people are doing. These titles are all over the place. So who's a grad assistant? Who's an analyst? Who's an administrative assistant? What does a, uh, you know, a recruiting coordinator do? Like we couldn't even get our arms around the titles. So we just f- said, forget it. So anyway, long-winded way of me leading up to, I, I don't know like where do we get into this? Like, why is it so important to have all these people let's put it that let's start with that why is it so important to andy to have all these people on a staff
1: well it's just easier to to do everything you want to do with more manpower i mean that's not unique to football or anything else that they just allow everybody else to work more efficiently you know i live in gainesville florida that that's what Florida's is trying to do. They're trying to mimic what Alabama and Georgia Yeah, let's do. open, let's open that door
0: because Napier is going crazy with this stuff. With yeah, the there's, a, there's a quality
1: control at this point now, based on what, what we can see from his hiring. There's a quality control assistant for every position coach like the, that is analogous to every position coach. For example, the, the quality control assistant for the offensive line is a guy named Cheston Blackshear. Justin Blackshear was Dartmouth's O-line coach for the last few years. Like, Dartmouth was the, the most efficient offense in the Ivy League. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. He's worked at Columbia. He's worked at New Mexico. Like, he knows how to be an offensive line coach. He could be a power five offensive line coach. But he's essentially the backup to the actual offensive line coach. And actually, Billy Napier has two of those. He, he uses two guys on the O-line. That's, just, that's a philosophical thing where he just uses two of his ten that way. But – but there's another person who's analogous to the linebackers coach, and another person who's analogous to the OC and to the DC and to the to the uh, wide receivers coach, and so that's just one more set of hands that is going through everything, that is watching practice film, that is watching uh, the opponents film, that is maybe going ahead and watching two opponents ahead, so that when you get to game week the on-field assistant who is dealing with the players more has all of the information that they might need just right off the bat. Like here's how this corner matches up with this receiver. You know, here's how, how, how we can attack this, how we can attack this. So that's part of it. the recruiting piece of it. That's you, you know, yes, the on-field assistants are response, most responsible for landing recruits, but you've got that in, that interior recruiting staff that is handling any sort of visit related stuff, any any sort of correspondence, uh, basically keeping tabs day after day. I mean, some of these people build relationships with the players and their parents more than the coach does, and and that's who they like better. And so, yeah, that's why you're seeing a lot of you know a lot more of those staffs bulking up. Um, like Ohio State has people in their recruiting office. Whose job it is to create graphics and create video and content for recruiting that you may never actually see. And they send that Ohio, to the players. It's
0: not just Ohio State at this point, right? Oh, that's but becoming they were the ones who kind of pioneered it. it. Right, right. Yeah. Even though Clemson yeah. got the got the rep as being the the social media graphic right. school, Ohio State really did invent it
1: but they've been sending this stuff to the player. Like th- those types of schools have been sending this stuff to the players for years, whether they choose to put it out on their social yeah, in-house is right. up to them to, to quote the quote in-house. Yeah, exactly. So these are all things y- you can do. And and so the reason they've never been able to limit the, the staff size is because they've gotten smoked in the Supreme court before uh, there was a, a case in the late nineties and they had what were called limited earnings coaches. Or I'm sorry, restricted earnings coaches. Yeah, and this was in in various sports, um, a lot of the Olympic sports, and in baseball, where basically uh, you could have another coach, like a, a, an extra coach, but that person had to live below the poverty line, essentially. And the coaches got together and were like, uh, "This is this is a violation of antitrust law." Sued, won, and they had to abandon it. And they will never be able to make that rule. Like you can make the rule that says you can only have 10 10 on-field assistants. Mm-hmm. But you can't further restrict that market by saying you can only have 20 staffers because somebody's going to sue you saying, "Well, this this company would or this school would like to give me a job, but now they can't because of these competitors got together and created a rule." Like it's a pretty classic violation of the Sherman Act. So They're never going to be able to to limit that.
0: And what I would tell Joe is the number of staffers Again, not the, the 10 coaches on the field, but everybody else, you know, all the other satellites around these programs, that's growing at every program. So you can see a place like Virginia. Now, again, when you open up- Virginia but, but everybody's staff, broke, Ralph. They don't have any money. Well, but I'm, this is where I'm going to say where where the difference becomes. So in Virginia, I, I, among their 40-odd staffers is a bunch of people called graduate assistants. Now, I don't right. see any graduate assistants listed at Alabama but they have them they probably have them no no, but no they, they, ha- they, have them, well, they have they have them they have well, what I was also going to say is, they also might just be identifying them differently and calling them analysts no as opposed no, to you senior would, you would ne- Ralph you would
1: never you would never call a grad assistant an analyst
0: you want to know why because grad assistants they, are allowed to coach on the field and that's that's actually a good point point. and also graduate assistants um you can't like they also don't get they you can cap their pay right you're essentially giving because they're they're getting they're getting a graduate degree they're, they're getting, getting some right, they're, getting they're getting some getting a, scholarship they're, they're, there. they're still students yeah they're still students. i'll
1: give you an example i'll give an example with another quality control person at florida mm-hmm. uh ty darlington former oklahoma center yeah has been working with oklahoma's quarterbacks for the last four years mm-hmm. he's been a grad assistant working with them which allowed him to coach on the field that's why he he actually was was in the room with the quarterbacks, helped you know help Caleb Williams learn the offense this year. Uh, ran a special teams unit this year as a because you can as a grad mm-hmm, assistant. Mm-hmm. And then when all the coaches left to go to USC, he that just moved into. Ty was was actually the QBs coach for the Alamo Bowl, but he'd had all that experience because he'd been listed as a grad assistant and.
0: Now it, it helps that he's a freaking he's probably got a PhD out of that <laughs> grad assistant deal. He's a doctor now. So so the difference because there's a lot of people. So I, I do think that ultimately the the manpower will be largest at the schools that we think of as having the most. But right. where what it really separates itself is what you were talking about, is what Napier just did with his offensive line analyst, quality control. Right. Is that at at the schools that have more money, they're paying those people higher salaries and they're getting a higher level of quality. So I'm not saying those guys
1: are getting paid. Those guys are getting paid. What? And a group of five, or maybe even a low, low tier power five right position coach would get paid. And that's, that's the difference.
0: So I heard through the grapevine um, when I was in Indianapolis about a group of five, Program that was courting a, an analyst from an SEC school. The SEC school basically said, No, 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 no. we like you. We're not going to make you a coach, an on field coach yet, but we do like you. So we want you to hang around. So here is $350,000. It's not as much as you were going to get from the group of five school to be an on field coach, but it's not that far away. So you should just stay here. And what is this? And, and well, what is this did?
1: ultra wealthy group of five school that's that's throwing out three fifty k for
0: for no, no, no. position coaches? Well. Yeah, I think it was high end. I, and it might have even been like, you know, co-coordinator type situation. Okay. okay. So, so, it's, so that's what I'm saying. Like what the difference now that's separating, everybody's got a lot of people, but what's separating the top programs and the wealthiest programs is they are b- bringing high level experienced people into these ancillary roles where they are essentially overqualified. They yes. are giving them relatively small amount of duties, a relatively small amount of duties, and having them really dig deep into those duties. It's it's sort of a, a playoff of what Sabin says, right? Do your job. We're, we're going we're gonna to narrow the focus of your job. He, and he does this in coaching on the field, off the field, with coaches, with staff. I want everybody to know exactly what they we expect of them, to have a very a very rigid definition of what your job is and to also narrow it. Cause if we only ask you to do a very little bit, but we ask you to do it really, really well. We're not going to ask you to do a ton of stuff, but what we're going to ask you to do, we're going to ask you to do it spectacularly. And oh, by the way, we're going to pay you a lot to do it. And that's where the the schools like Virginia, which is certainly not a poor school, I'm sure they will do quite well with Tony Elliott, Tony Elliott filling out his support staff, but Virginia is probably not going to pay what Alabama or Georgia will pay for a lot of those
1: off-field positions. you mentioned... Virginia Virginia has beefed up why where did Virginia athletic director Carla Williams come from she came from Georgia that's right she took her entire staff to Georgia right to show them how it operated and said this is what you look like when you care about football right and so it's not that but but you have to you do have to spend more wisely and you have to hire more wisely right. it just it, it does make that harder I, I don't know that because I, I do think there's a certain point where you of diminishing returns with with a staff that big. I remember talking to a coach years ago about it and they were asking me to explain Saban's. And this was a very successful coach explaining Saban's analyst system and how that worked. And and so I'm going through the infrastructure, the organizational chart. And the coach stops me. He's like, I can't do that. I just don't trust that many people. And I, I do think it's, it's also personal preference. Like I don't. I don't think you necessarily need an army as big as what Nick Saban has, but there are certain positions and certain places where you should beef up more. Like recruiting is one where I I would think if you can hire more staff, hire more staff, like, cause there, there, there there's certain things grunt work day to day stuff that you don't, you kind of want to take off the plate of your position coaches. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's a good place to do that. Those are positions that don't necessarily pay a ton of money. They don't have to pay a ton of money. You're actually probably looking for someone younger with a little less experience who's a little more creative and is going to be you know, able to communicate with, with young people better. So it's not – if you can be creative with it, you can make it work. But if you want to compete with the Alabamas and the Georgias, you've got to have something similar to that. And I think that's what Florida is going through is for years and years – the coach was was told no by the administration when they asked for this stuff. And they're like, look, it, it, look at what Alabama does and what Georgia does and look at how they're winning. Would you like to win like that? You are demanding that I win like that without giving me the same resources that they get. And so I think that's what, what Scott Strickland, the AD, finally came around on is, look, I got to give – if we're going to expect the same things as Kirby
0: Smart and Nick Saban are doing – you got to give them the, uh, similar resources. You're also building your farm system. You talked about Ty Darlington, a perfect example. Yes. right. You you are essentially you're you're you got coaches who are coming through your system, young coaches who know you what you expect from them, and then when you have an opening, you're right.
1: You're, you're often At, just or as, as Nick Saban told me in 2013 or maybe 2012. If I have somebody who's been an analyst with me, when they come back as a position coach, I don't have to train them. There that's, you go. that's one more efficiency that you've gained, essentially. Yeah.
0: And basically, it's all about being efficient. Joe's got some other questions there. But but essentially, Joe, yes, it, it's it's cutting down the workload. It's uh, giving people fewer jobs and less grunt work. And it's also, again, at, at, I think where it really differentiates now is the quality of person you can put into some of those lower level jobs. They're not that lower level because you can pay them a fair amount. And that's where we are, where we are and why every really almost every college football uh, staff has an absolute army working for them. These have become, you know, and and also it's become almost I bet you there are more people working at the high level FBS programs, not even I'm saying Alabama, like just whatever the top right. 30% 30% of FBS than a lot of NFL teams. I don't know what the, well, you covered the Jaguars a little more this year. How does it, how does it compare, let's say the, uh, a high quality SEC team and the, uh, and, and an NFL team?
1: I think it's, it's, it's pretty similar. There's probably more on the SEC team because your roster size is bigger, right? You know, your roster size is twice
0: the size. You but have to have academic of, people and also some like player relationship uh, liaisons, right, but, people right, that deal with of, families.
1: People per player. When you're concentrating on football, mm-hmm. I'd say it's pretty similar. Yeah, because that's what you know. If you look at an NFL team when they practice, you know your position coach has a, a QC analyst mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. working behind him, and and so that 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 and that was taken from the NFL. That was that was something Nick Saban lifted from directly from the NFL. And then you got the NFL has the player personnel departments where they've got scouting and player personnel. Scouting looks at the players in college, figures out who to draft. Player personnel looks at the players on the other teams in the NFL to figure out, one, if we got to play these guys, how's that going to work? And two,
0: when we're signing free agents, if we're going to trade for people, who do we want? Right, right. And now that's become the difference between high school recruiting and transfers in, in right, college exactly yeah,
1: college colleges have all lifted that too. every yeah. every major college has a a group of people scouting the portal and scouting high schools
0: and not just scouting the portal, but scouting who could who could end up in the portal. And you do that yeah. in two ways. A, we have recruited this kid before. Let's keep mm-hmm. him up on the board, monitor where he has been. B, um. Why don't you just, you know, look through some of these kids that we maybe never heard of before, but like, oh, this this UTEP receiver is having a pretty amazing year. Yeah. Let's keep an eye on him like they're, they're well. And, 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 and the that keeping, sounds shady, the keep- but they are absolutely doing that, too.
1: Yeah. The keeping this stuff from the original high school recruitment is, is the same thing as the NFL team. Like, you know, you'll talk to a guy at the combine who's like a guaranteed top 10 pick. And he'll say, Oh, yeah, I talked to the Patriots. And you're like, Why did you talk to the Patriots? They're, they're, they're picking like 31st. Because like, the Patriots are, are waiting, are, are building a dossier so that when you become a free agent, right. they decide if they want you or not.
0: Right, right. And now, th- and now this is what college teams are doing too. They're, they're building the dossier through recruiting, but they're, then they're also, again, sort of sc- uh, scanning the country a little bit. Maybe they, they can't do that much of it. They don't have that much manpower, but they are sort of scanning the country or what they're doing is this, because again, every college team plans out their depth charts years in advance or, or a couple of years, they have a couple of years right. worth of depth chart. So they will look and say, Oh, we're going to be a little short on linebackers next year. Keep an eye on linebackers. <laughs> we, I, I want you yep. looking around for linebackers. Even if we yeah, have if, no relationship with them, keep an eye right. out for
1: a line. If some, if, if some dude at, at Sam Houston States making 15 tackles a
0: game, go find out about his, that. guy. His, Get his tape, yeah. yes, yeah, and find out who his high school coach is, right? exactly, <laughs> or his seven-on-seven coach, Andy Staples. This was incredibly enjoyable. It's a transformative time in college sports. It's been a transformative time for you, Andy. Before I let you go, congratulations on—I don't I, like—I uh, I, congratulations on losing weight. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> yes. On, I mean, you you look great. I've never thought you on you making did... better choices. I You're guess, make, you, <laughs> but but Andy, not only has has he taken a, a little more, um he, he put a lot of effort into losing some weight and getting into better shape. But he also was bold and and uh, and brave enough to put put the before and after on Twitter, Andy. <laughs> like, yeah, like good for you. Very beefcakey, but I, like I don't know if I was necessarily the type of person who would do that. Like that's 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 a bold statement.
1: Well, by so. You. So the reason I did that is because I know if I put the weight back on, then somebody's going to throw that picture back in my face. So <laughs> it is good. It is good motivation for me to make sure I keep doing the right things. We can't all be Ralph Russo or Dennis Dodd who are just jacked <laughs> all the time, who jacked. already eat well, exercise the time, and, and, and I exercised a lot when I weighed 280. So the, the deal was in, in January, 2020, I weighed 280. I looked at pictures of myself coming out of vacation And I was like, I have, I have to do something about this. And so I had my wife take a before picture of me. And it's funny because I didn't even look, I I hadn't looked at that before picture Mm -hmm. in a long time. And then I started the intermittent fasting. I did that. I I, I'm still doing that. I, I lost a bunch of weight doing that, but then I started to put weight back on. And so my wife and I both started counting calories last September. And that's, working for me where if I just, if I hold myself accountable every single day for every, th- every calorie I eat, even when I cheat, I try to be as accurate as possible. Like I ate like 7,000 calories at Christmas dinner. Right. I put them all in there. Um, it helps me. It, and and the, the thing that I, that, that is different, cause I've lost weight before and put it all back on. I'm hoping that I can do it differently this time. I did not set a goal weight. There is no goal weight. There's no light. You know, there's no number that if I hit on the scale, I declare victory. It doesn't every time I've done that, I put put the weight back on. So I just have to keep doing this. I, You know, and, and it doesn't mean I'm not going to keep eating good stuff. I love food. I love barbecue. So I've
0: you know, heard I, I'm Andy. not going to so change. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I have, have experienced prob- that. Yes, I definitely don't want to. The next time I run into you, not be able to have a nice big meal with you.
1: Yeah, no, and, and and we probably will if it's a cheat day or if I if I did a good workout and, and made sure I'm I portioned my calories the right way. But the, the problem is, and, and football is somewhat to blame for this for me, is my eating habits were set in a very bad way as a teenager.
0: When you, you were trying to I be was, bigger.
1: Yeah. When you were right, an, offensive an offensive lineman, lineman trying
0: to be 275 or 80 pounds.
1: And and one thing I've learned through all this route i'm I'm actually naturally not a huge person i'm just mm-hmm. not like i have i have skinny ankles and skinny wrists and <laughs> like i'm not supposed to be that big i'm just not and because i i thought oh if i get down to two thirty then i i'm gonna be berun no i mean i i'm i was two twenty three yesterday if i lost another i like i can pinch an inch still like if i if i lost another ten pounds it wouldn't be the end of the world um so that's, I'm just trying to stay healthy and, and be as healthy as I can and, and live as long as I can for my kids and, uh, well, hopefully keep- set a better example than I was setting before. So it's, uh, it, it's fun. Also, I fit into a lot more clothes now. Like there were stores I couldn't even go in when I, when I was 280. So, uh, <laughs> it, it has been fun
0: to like figure out what, what can I wear now? Well, congrats, man! Listen, I never thought you looked bad before, but I also understand the health aspect of it, and especially when you have kids and wanting to set a good example, and also like the challenge of it. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm not here to talk about me, but like, you know, I I can cheat a little bit here and there, and it, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's bodies are different, right? Everybody's but you're very naturally disciplined, different. Ralph, and I think I, I think that's the part that
1: you have. I had to, to teach myself. If if you can, you you just gotta like if you're like me where you just love this and you and left your own devices you just be gorging all the time <laughs> you have to hold your yourself accountable every day and and the people who have that natural governor in their head or in their stomach I, I think that's that's important like my son he was born with that like he can have a bowl of ice cream in front of him and he's got half of it left he's full he's like i'm good i'm done like, there's no way I could ever do that. So, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I just, I, I envy, I always envy people who had that self discipline, and you always had that. So, uh,
0: yeah. Very last thing before I let you go is you have another book coming out with a person who uh, I know meant a lot to your life and the lives of a lot of people who took his advice. Um, I'm just going to let you go. I'm going to let you tell me about the book and the person, and that's what we'll get out of here on. Yeah, we
1: got a new book. Uh, it's called Getting to Neutral. And it's I, I wrote it with Trevor Moad, who was the mental conditioning coach. I, I met him when he was working with Alabama because I remember I was working for SI and it was before that LSU Alabama game of the century in 2011. I'm like, what is what, what more can we possibly write about Alabama at this point? And and I had read that they used three different mental coaches. I'm like, what the hell's a mental coach? So I called Trevor and said, What do you do? Like to the office space. What what exactly is it you do here? And uh and he totally explained it all to me. And I was fascinated. So I wrote a story for SI. We hit it off and and you know, stayed in touch through the years. He he's worked with Russell Wilson, he worked with with uh Georgia, Florida State, uh, Michigan State, uh Alabama. Yeah, Mel Tucker is a big uh,
0: uh, Mel Tucker a a and, and, clo- and was a very close friend, and
1: one of his one of his best friends, and and the idea was Trevor was kind of trying to transition what he did into more talking to regular people about all this stuff, all the, all the mental techniques he learned working with elite athletes, because, you know, elite athletes don't, you can't pull the power of positive thinking on them. You can't be like, Hey, you should just be positive. They're like, why? Elite athletes always want to know why they're when, when you're trying to give them a new training routine, they're the biggest lawyers in the world. Like they want to know exactly how this will help me, and what do I need to do to, to do it. And so he developed this this concept called neutral thinking, which basically is: you're in a high pressure situation, you're in a high stress situation. Go to the facts, take the emotion out of it. Uh, don't worry about if it's good or bad, or if somebody's, you know, that person's terrible, or none of that even matters. You know, you're basically. You're that corner who just got burned for a touchdown. you're Jalen Ramsey walking back to the the line of scrimmage for the next play going okay here's here's what I know. here's how I've worked out. Here's the number of sprints I ran in the offseason playing against Brandon Ayuk right now. I, I have to play against Cooper cup and and Odell Beckham Jr every day in practice. they're better than he is. I can do this. And that sort of thing really works for everything in your daily life. I mean, Trevor and I had already started working on book two when the pandemic started. Trevor had been diagnosed uh, w- with cancer of the bile ducts in September of 2019. He he worked like the 2019 season. He worked with Georgia. He was back and forth from California to Georgia a bunch of times, never told anybody there what was going on. And so we, we actually decided to make this book about what he was dealing with and, and You know, how, how did he use all of those tools that he developed with Russell Wilson and, and, you know, the Alabama football program, how do you use those when you're fighting for your life? And we finished the book in the spring and got everything kind of locked down and he, he passed in September. And, and I guarantee like, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, I guarantee if you read this, you'll get something out of it that you can use in your daily life that will make things easier it, it it will make the the lows less low and 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 will help keep you out of the hole the new
0: book is getting to neutral um so please if you know again uh, the the first book is it takes what it takes it, it takes what it takes reading so pick them this both is- up and andy i appreciate you actually also just sharing your relationship and what this means to you with trevor obviously he was a close friend oh, it's and-
1: it, this is this is just it i'm i'm so grateful that people will be able to get their hands on this and and actually learn some of these lessons because it like I'm not lying I I hate self-help books I do (laughs) I thought they were completely useless but this stuff works for me
0: well you may have convinced me on the I've always hated uh, self-help books but I but I I was down with this one because that's me I've never been a big fan of the self-help books but you know what it's you, this is, this and I is trust your for People who think self-help books are BS, basically, <laughs> sounds good to me, Andy. Hopefully. We will maybe cross paths with each other in the uh, coming months, coming weeks, coming uh, whatever. I, I don't I know you're not doing a whole lot of basketball these days, but maybe at a spring game there's even a possibility I might even be coming through Gainesville in this uh off season. What? So maybe, maybe I'll be oh, uh, my. Maybe I'll be in your neighborhood sooner rather than later. I'll schedule a cheat day for, for your arrival. We could we could, we should work on that. We should work on that. All right, man. Hey, listen again, always appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, listen to the Andy Staples show show uh, read him at the athletic pick up the book uh, getting to neutral the new book and um, I think that's about it and uh, congratulations on the uh, on on losing a few pounds on losing a small child (laughs) it's a pretty (laughs) big child actually (laughs) later Andy and now three and out first down I mentioned at the top of the show that we remain on Caleb Williams' watch while we're also still on Jim Harbaugh' watch as NFL teams go through the process of filling their head coaching jobs. There are lots of highly speculative reports out there, but really we're all just guessing at this point as to what Harbaugh might do. If the question is, will Jim Harbaugh remain at Michigan, my answer is not sure if the question is what will Michigan do if Jim Harbaugh does leave my money is still on an in-house promotion of offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis while trying to keep much of the staff that did a very nice job this year intact second down as of right now all FBS jobs are filled Hawaii acted pretty quickly to hire former Rainbow Warriors great quarterback Timmy Chang to replace Todd Graham last weekend. Chang was receivers coach at Colorado State, where he had moved along with Jay Norvell from Nevada. Chang is 40 years old and his resume is a little light to be promoted to head coach. But if ever Hawaii needed a coach, it could rally around. Now is that time. Graham's two years were kind of a disaster, and then it got out the AD tried to woo June Jones back to Hawaii, and Jones was left less than impressed with the offer he was given. AD David Matlin is not a very popular person around Hawaii and within that program right now. Hawaii needed a coach who could engender some goodwill and get supporters who have been feeling alienated rallying around the program. Sentimentality is not The best reason to hire a head coach. But in this case, getting people feeling good about the Hawaii football program was really important. And Chang does that. Good for him. Third down. One last thing on Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov and his stance on the Rose Bowl. Andy and I touched on it and then sort of bouncing around to other things. The Pac-12 needs expansion. More so than really just about any Power Five conference. So I'm not sure he is in position to play hardball to get what he wants for the Rose Bowl. But I do think he might be positioning himself to be the third vote out of the Power Five for the proposed 12-team playoff model that the SEC and Big 12 support. So in other words, hey, guys, I'm with you. Let's get this model implemented. We're going to do it after the, t- the contract runs out. So, hey, guys, we might as well do it now because we're going to do it with or without you dissenters come 2026. So maybe he f- views himself as saying, if I'm the guy who can get everybody or if I'm the guy who can force the other conferences, the other dissenters, the ACC and the Big 12 to agree to early expansion because it's just going to come anyway after 2026, maybe then that allows him to get some kind of special treatment for the Rose Bowl, even if it's not exactly what they're asking now, which is, I remind you, when the Rose Bowl hosts a semifinal to actually have a traditional Rose Bowl. So basically double hosting Rose Bowl on New Year's Eve in the middle of all the quarterfinals. That is not happening. But maybe there's something else there he might be able to gain for the Rose Bowl. It's going to be hard, but I understand why he's fighting for it. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods, please follow so you do not miss an episode, including next week's episode, which will be get into a little bit of signing day. We'll talk transfers and recruiting with our guests next week. If you have any questions you'd like me or my guests to answer, like we did this week, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on all topics, college football, serious or silly. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening, and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.